yes. All right, so uh, Colossians chapter 4 is where we're at today. We're going to look at verses 7 through 18. Colossians chapter 4. We're finishing up. Man, when did we start this? We started this, I don't know, six months ago, nine months ago, a long time ago. We started the book of Colossians, so uh, we're finishing it up today. Where will we be next week? I don't know. If you know that, let me know so that I can get started working on it because I don't know either. I uh, haven't really even thought much about it, but we're gonna we're gonna be going somewhere different, and may, maybe we might have a couple weeks of just transition. Maybe just pick up a piece here or there that uh, maybe not a series, or we may jump right back into another series or another book of the Bible. We'll see. Colossians chapter four, finishing up today. Let's begin in verse seven. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are. And that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, one who, who, who is one of you, they will tell you everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, not King Jesus, but this guy who's named Justice. They, they na- renamed him Justice. These are the only, only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Aeropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received from the Lord in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Father, we thank you for uh, the end of this book. God, we thank you for the example that Paul gives us of practically living out uh, the doctrines that we hold dear. Uh, God, I pray that you would teach us about spiritual friendship this morning. I pray that this... uh, kind of wrapping up of this letter might have a huge impact in what we do this week and in how we look at our life and in how we connect with others. God, help us to love well, uh, to love one another well. In Jesus' name, amen. 20 years ago when I came to Lincoln Avenue, I would not have preached on this passage. You You know what we would have done? We would have finished up last week with, you know, walking wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time, let your speech always be gracious. I probably would have preached that sermon, and then today I would have come and said, all right, guys, uh, we're going to have a new series, open up to, you know, because this, these, 20 years ago, these passages, we find one in Romans, a large one in Romans. We have one here, pretty big one in 2 Timothy. Uh, They're they're, they're common throughout Paul's writings, but I, I, I always looked at them as, as kind of just the wrapping up, like 
I looked at them like the credits at a movie. You know, when the movie's over and then they have all those, you know, you know, people to acknowledge and thank this guy and thank that, you know. I mean, that, that's kind of the way I looked at it. Or after the Super Bowl, they always, you know, they do the confetti deal and then they, they, they interview these guys that, who are they? You know, I mean, they're like the owners, I guess, or the whoever, you know, they have the interviews and they have, you know, I, I, I never watch those. Maybe you watch those. I don't watch those. I never read the footnotes in books at the end of a book. And, and so I, always looked at these passages like that and even in my bible reading a lot of times i would just just kind of lightly skim over them you know it's kind of like well the 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 movie's over the real meat is gone here it's done Uh, it was a great book and now he's wrapping up and so we're just gonna move on okay today i will tell you that these are some of the most impactful passages of scripture in the bible for me personally okay um Second Timothy has had a profound, the end of Second Timothy has had a profound impact upon my daily life. And, and, and one of the reasons is, is that, that I, I began to see that what you find here are really cool little glimpses of Paul's personal life. So I don't know about you guys, but like I, I, would, I would love to sit down with the Apostle Paul and just like ask him a bunch of questions. I'd love that. I'd love to say, well, you know, how, how'd you do this? How'd you do friendship? How, how'd you do family? I'd love to just ask him a whole bunch of just personal stuff. I can't do that because he's in heaven. Okay, but what I can do, what I do have is a few of these little glimpses of the personal life of the Apostle Paul. And, or if it's another book, Peter or whoever happened to, to write the book. Now, the reason that's cool is, is because I think what we get to see is, we get to see how some of the great theological truths that these guys wrote about, okay, we get to see a little bit of them living them out in these old greeting passages, all right, in, the, in their personal interaction with other people. Let me give you some examples, okay? So let me give you three big theological pillars that Paul has spends chapters on in his writings okay so one of them would be that we are the church right that we're the church not we're in the church but we are the church like like the the spirit of god dwells in me and if you are a born again believer he dwells in you and and i am joined to jesus connected to jesus vitally like i'm in christ i'm connected to him and if you're a believer you are in Christ, and you're connected to Him, and therefore we are connected to one another. We we are the family of God, all right. So that that's all over in Paul's writings, First Corinthians, a ton. Uh, here in Colossians, Colossians chapter one, verse eighteen, we looked at this verse a long time ago, and He's the head of the body. Jesus is the head of the body. The church. So the church is the body. Christ is the head. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, then in everything he might be preeminent. All right. So Paul writes about how Jesus is the head of the body, which is the church. We're all connected to one another. All right. That doctrine, we're going to see in just a second, works its way into the way that Paul talks about people he knows. Okay. Second one, we need one another. I think the best passage to look at for this is 1 Corinthians 12. So in 1 Corinthians, and again, this is Paul writing. So in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul has this whole chapter on this metaphor of the body, all right, and how, you know, some people are an eye or a hand or a, you know, whatever. Okay, and so in 1 Corinthians 12, 21, he says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. So, so in other words, the, the doctrine that Paul puts forward is that we are designed and put together in the body in a particular way. So you're gifted in a particular way. 
I'm gifted in a particular way. God put us together in a fellowship in a particular way so that the mission of God would be maximized. All right, so Paul clearly states in 1 Corinthians 12 in this doctrinal passage that we're the body of Christ and we need one another. We are diverse for a reason. Now, isn't it cool that, I'll tell you, 2 Timothy 4.9 changed my life. When, 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 I, when, I, when I hear Paul saying, you know, I hear him saying, he's in prison. Here's this apostle caught up to the third heaven, you know, plants churches all over the, the world, writes 13 books in the New Testament, and you, you open up, you end 2 Timothy when hit with him saying, please come see me. You know, hey, find Mark and get him and bring him here. I mean, I can't tell you how that impacted my life. Here you got this pillar of a spiritual giant. And you know what he's doing? He's, he's writing to people saying, look, I can't leave. The reason is, king, ching, I'm chained to this Roman soldier in a prison cell. But would you please come see me? Paul, Paul believed these things. All right? Third one, we're to love one another. We just read not too long ago in, in Colossians 3.14, where Paul, Paul gives this great sanctification chapter, and then in, in the middle of it he says, And above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And as you read all, all of Paul's letters, man, he talks about loving one another over and over and over and over. He never lets anybody off the hook. No, nobody ever does it enough. You know, even the best churches he writes to, he says, you got to excel in this more and more. All right, and then we open up texts like this, and, and we see what that looks like. What does that look like to be obedient to the command to love one another? Well, we're, we're about to see it, all right? So you see why I think this is so cool? This is like seeing Paul live out the things that he's already taught us. I don't know who it was, but somebody titled this section, Paul and his friends. I remember reading some, somebody writing, I, I, I like that. Um, you know I like that. You know, we've, we've built... One of the big rocks of our ministry here at Lincoln Avenue is Christ-centered relationships. You could, you could call that spiritual friendships. We try in lots of different ways to cultivate that in your life. We think that is super important. Um, I have a theory, okay? I have a theory. I, I'm, if you want to challenge it, that's perfectly fine. Uh, I probably won't even try to defend it, um, but, but I think I can. But here's my theory. I believe that the impact of your life will be in direct proportion to the quality of spiritual friendships that you cultivate and maintain during your life. I believe that. Uh, maybe you don't. Um, maybe there are some exceptions to that. Maybe. Maybe, maybe. Um, William Carey, possibly, you know, uh, he did spend a large chunk of his life in a hut in India um, getting malaria and writing, you know, in translating different Indian dialects for, into the Bible, all right? A guy like that, maybe, maybe it could be said something else of him. I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I, I think, I, I actually think I can back this up in a lot of ways. Okay, did, did you hear what I just said? The impact of your life will be in direct proportion to the quality of spiritual friendships that you cultivate and maintain during your life. I absolutely believe I can defend that from Paul's life. Um, I think I can defend it from a bunch of other guys. I, I sat in a room a long time ago with uh, Billy Graham's kind of main guy, the guy that had been with him from the beginning and had organized most of the Crusades, 
And the question came from the gallery, the, the guys I was sitting with. He said, man, what's the key to, to the Billy Graham Evangelism Association's success? And I'm, I'll never forget what he said. He said, he said, find, he said, when you're young, find a bunch of guys that love the same thing as you, be friends with them, and then grow old together. Like, do this forever. Like, that, that's what, that was his answer. Like, what's the key to success? Um, I, I think in doing over 150 funerals here at Lincoln in the last 20 years, I, I think I can make the pretty good case that in direct proportion to the quality of your spiritual friendships will be the impact that you make when you leave. So, maybe you buy that, maybe you don't. Uh, whether you do or don't, I, I think you, you have to buy what the Scripture says, which is we are to love one another. That is, that is characterized in spiritual friendship. So how? how? How do we develop and maintain spiritual friendships? I think we learned some great lessons here, so let's talk about them, all right? So number one, how do we develop and maintain spiritual friendships? Well, first of all, you have to begin to see people and think of people and talk about people according to their spiritual identity in Christ. So in this book of Colossians, we've had a ton about identity. You know, if you remember, we, we tied about 10 sermons to the first two or three verses of chapter 3. Let me read those verses to you again. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, and you also appear with him in glory. So, so you have this, this pillar passage where Paul says, set your mind on things above. Why? Because you're connected to Jesus. You know, you are in Christ. Your life over. It's gone. Your life is now hidden in Christ. In other words, you have a new identity. You are a new person. All right, now, when we look at how Paul saw people, thought about people, talked about people, addressed people, he believes that. He's all in on that. How, how do we know how he's all in on that? By the way that he talks about his friends. You know, I, I just wonder. I wonder if... Uh, I wonder if Troy is introducing Jeff to a friend of his at work that doesn't know Jeff, what words would Troy use? Would he say, well, he's, you know, works for the USDA, or Department of Agriculture, um, he's got some boys, he lives over on the south, uh, south side of town, you know, things like that, which is all true, which is all true. How do you describe church members this happens to us all the time. If you got little kids, I've been doing this for 20 years. Like we're going to somebody's house for a barbecue or supper or whatever. And the kids are like, now where are we going? And they never know your names for some reason. I don't know. I, you know, I, they, I, some are very, Avery is, Avery might, you know, but a couple of my kids like, you, you've, you've sat by that person in church for 20 years. You know, how do you not know their name? But anyway, so a lot of times I'll, I'll, be, I'll be describing them. Well, you know, they're this, you know, and how do you describe people? How do you think of people who are in your small group? Well, let's listen to how Paul does that, okay? So verse 7, Tychicus, here's this guy Tychicus, will tell you all about, all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and a faithful minister. It's interesting, the word's actually deacon. Faithful minister, I don't think he was a deacon in the positional form, but he was a servant. And fellow servant, that word's actually bond slave, in the Lord. Do you see what Paul just did there? He said, here's who this guy is in the Lord. He's a beloved brother, faithful minister, faithful 
bond slave, doulos. Okay, that, that's the way he describes him. Um, he's in the family of God. He's, he's, he's a fellow servant. He's a fellow slave. We have the same master. That, that's how Paul describes this guy. Um, look at verse 9. Uh, Onesimus. Now, if you remember who Onesimus is, by the way, there's a book of the Bible written about him. It's the book of Philemon. So Onesimus is a runaway slave. He's a guy that gets really tired of being a slave, and so he, he sees his shot, and he runs away, and he gets away, and he makes it all the way to Rome. But there he runs into Paul and gets converted. Uh, he becomes a Christian, and he served with Paul a long time. And now Paul sends him back to his master with a letter with the book of Colossians, by the way, but another letter, actually he sent Tychicus with three letters, Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon. That's what we believe happened. Okay, And, and, and so Onesimus is going back to the guy he just ran away, with, right, away from, and he's got a letter in his hand to his master from Paul saying, hey, this guy's been converted. Man, God changed his life. I know he, I know he wasn't supposed to do what he did, but man, he's, 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 he's a new, you know, receive him as a brother. And so it's cool in verse 9, he didn't say, and with him, Onesimus, the runaway slave. No, he says, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother. Here's a slave. How does Paul think of him? Not as a slave, not as a, you know, regular, a slave of Christ maybe. But no, he describes him as a faithful and beloved brother. Verse 10, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner. Verse 11, a whole bunch of guys here, uh, Justice and uh, uh, Mark and Aristarchus, and he says, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers. That, that's how he sees them. These, these guys are fellow laborers in the kingdom of God. That, that's what verse 11 says, fellow workers for the kingdom of God. Verse 12, Epaphras, who's he? A servant of Christ Jesus. Um, verse 15, he says, greet all the brothers at Laodicea and Aeropolis. You know, here, here's my fear. My fear is that our spiritual relationships are stunted because we don't think of each other this way. We, we, we're kind of still caught up with, well, that's, uh, that's old Casey, the, the mechanic, the truck mechanic, and uh, that's Jason. He sells uh, parts, you know, and that, that's the way, which is true, okay, but that, that's the way we identify people. Well, there's not a very strong connection there, is there? I don't have a strong connection to diesel mechanic unless I have something broke down. Then all of a sudden, like, Haddon's car is broke down, Casey. Anyway, you know, so then we have a connection all of a sudden, you know. But it's a weak connection because as soon as Casey fixes it, then it's like, awesome, buddy. I'll call you next time, you know. But beloved spiritual brother, do, do you see the people in your, in your small group at the level that you see your biological family? Paul does. Like, he's in on that. Like, he talks about Timothy as his true son in the faith. Interesting, isn't it? See, these, what he sees here, these are strong connections. He's, we, we share all of this. That's really what Paul is saying. He, he, he's saying, we, we share all, all this together. You know, uh, Haven just had her softball party last night. They're, they're, um, they, got, they went to Oklahoma City and watched a game together, and they let them dress up in their uniforms, and they all go out on the field and, it's kind of a gimmick to get you to buy a ticket to go to the minor league baseball game. You know, yeah, that's what it is. But anyway, you know, they had a, you know, deal. And so I, I didn't go, but Emma went and, and, you know, 
And why do we go? Because there's a connection there. She's on the, she's on the team, right? She's on the team. They have this in common. They play softball together. You know, several months out of the year, they play softball together. So there's a connection. So we drive all the way to Oklahoma City to go this deal, you know, because the team is going. Well, here's the reality. All of that is about a little ball and some bags and a stick. That's what all that's about. Now, I'm, I like it. I enjoy it. I actually, girls softball, I really enjoy watching it. But that's all it's about. Let's not be mistaken. That's, that's what it is. It's, it's a ball and some bags and a little stick, and it's a game. It's a game. It's a good game, but it's a game. Okay, now, Paul's connections, though, link us to this eternal kingdom with a new heaven and a new earth and eternal joy or everlasting torment in the lake of fire. Now, are, are you seeing why that should be a stronger connection? I'm not saying we shouldn't have the other, but I'm saying, should not that be a bond that really unites us together? And what I see Paul doing that maybe is just a real practical, I, I want to make this as practical as possible, because here's what I think. I think. I think a lot of you want good friendships, you struggle to have them. I'm doing a funeral tomorrow for a lady who was on the search committee 20 years ago when they brought me to Lincoln Avenue, uh, Irma Woods, man, fantastic lady. Um, I, I was over at their house and they had a box of poetry that she had written. And I was like, hmm, I'd kind of like to look through that. And they gave me a bunch of them. I ended up spending about an hour yesterday, or Friday it was, um, reading through her poems, copied a whole bunch of them. Um, man, the lady had some incredible depth. Um, super. Uh, poetry about Christ and about the church and about struggles and about marriage and about, about everything. But one of them I, I, that, that really interested me was about friendship. And it was, it was about the difficulty of friendship and about people letting you down. And I thought, man, how real is that? How real is that? So I, I think a lot of you struggle there. And so, so I'm going to hopefully through this give some real practical tips on spiritual friendship. Here's the first one. I think the way you talk about people matters. I think, I think the way you, I think what you say affects what you think. I, I, I do, you know. I think sometimes when we're having a hard time grabbing onto things and really believing them, I think we need to say them, okay? And so here, here would be my encouragement to you. I would encourage you to do exactly what Paul does here. I would encourage you to think about and talk about other believers in the way that Paul does here. You should do that. Uh, I, I think it matters, I think you should talk about people as beloved brothers, as faithful ministers, as fellow servants, as fellow workers in the kingdom of God. As I think you should use that language. You should think of people in that way. Okay. Number two, this one is this one is super practical. Okay, to be a spiritual friend, you need to know what is going on in people's lives, and they need to know what's going on in your life. All right. Spiritual friendship needs continual checking in and continual checking on. If you do not do this, you will not make much of an impact. People will like you maybe because you're friendly, but you'll never get deep with anybody. You'll never develop any lasting friendships. You probably won't have much of a discipleship impact because it won't ever get very far. Okay? So that's how important this one is. And look how important Paul thinks it is. Okay? Are you ready? Let's, let's reread the, just a couple verses here. Let's start in verse 7. Let's start over. 
Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. That's one. All right, do you see what he's saying? He's saying, I'm sending this guy. Why is he sending him? Because he can't leave. He's chained to a prison cell, all right? So he does the next best thing. He couldn't text anybody, no phones, right? No, no social media, couldn't do that. So he does the next best thing. He sends this guy through several countries at great risk to his own life. And he wants the guy to tell him about what he's doing. Did you see that? Okay, now let's keep going. So Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He's a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant of the Lord. Now, verse 8, are you ready? I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are. <laughs> Number two. And didn't he just say that? He just said, I'm going to send him to you so that you'll know of my activities. And now the next verse, he, he emphasizes, I'm sending him here for this very purpose so that you're, you'll know how we are. You'll know what's going on with us. Right? And that he may encourage your hearts. Verse 9. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, third time here, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Now, in three verses, he says it three times. How many people think that there's something to that? Like, maybe there, maybe he's trying to emphasize something here. So, in Three times he says, I'm sending these guys to you so you'll know of my activities, so you'll know how we are, so you'll know of everything going on here. All right, so Paul desperately wants these guys to know what's going on in his life. If you think this is just some kind of freak thing, like Paul was a little sleepy and he wrote the same thing three times, that happens. You ever do that, like when you're like falling asleep while you're typing? And you, yeah. I, don't, I don't think so. Uh, Ephesians 6, 21 and 22 so that you also may know how I am and what I'm doing. So that you also may know how I am, what I'm doing. Take against my beloved brother and faithful minister of the Lord. It will tell you everything. Okay, several times in that verse. I've sent him to you, verse 22, for this very purpose, that you may know how we are. He does it again. Three times in, at the end of Ephesians, he says, I'm sending this guy so that you'll know how we are. Do you need more evidence? Acts 15, 36 after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city that we, where we proclaim the word of God that, that we may see how, how they are. We're going we're to go again so that we may see how they are. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 17. Uh, but since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time in person, not in heart, we endeavored all the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. He, he wants to see them. He wants to know how they're doing. He wants them to know how he's doing. Okay? Much of Paul's ministry have this strategy. I'm going to go check in. I'm going to see how they are. I'm going to see how they're doing spiritually. I'm going to see if they're progressing. I'm going to see if they're in sin. I want them to know how I am. I want, I want them to know what's going on with me. I want them to know what's, what's happening in my life. You, you know... The latter is even more refreshing than the former. So I, you might expect that Paul would be like, okay, what's going on with you? You know, tell me what's going on. How are you doing in the faith? How, how's things going with your family? You know, how's your prayer life? Okay, we might expect that from Paul, but we might not expect this radical desire of his that people would know how he is. He wants people to know how he is. I love that about Paul. He's not like this spiritual giant that's like, well, I don't know how you are, but you don't need to ask me because I'm Paul, you know? 
No, man, he wants people to know. He shares with them. He, he tells you all the time in his writings, man, we despaired of life. We were really tough. Pray for us. Remember last week, pray for us. You know, why that's so refreshing is because I don't want you to sit. You know what Paul doesn't do? He doesn't sit in the Roman prison cell and start him up a little pity party fire there and stoke it around saying, I wish someone would see how I am. I wish someone would call me by the handphones. I wish someone would write to me. I wish they'd come see me. When, anytime I do a sermon on friendship, I'm afraid that's where you're going to go. I'm afraid that's, that's our tendency, is we're going to sit back and be like, yep, these people are so sorry. Nobody ever checks on me. That may be true, but it doesn't help you. You need to be like Paul. You, you need to say, I'm going to go check on people. I'm going to go tell people how I am. Relentlessly. Have you ever wondered, well, Paul, what, what if they don't care how you are? You're sending this guy across the world, you know, to, to let them know how you are. What, what if they don't care? I don't know that Paul cares about that. Like, I think he's so relentless on loving people well and building spiritual friendships, having spiritual partnerships for the sake of the gospel, that he's a relentless connector. All right, so real, real practical thing here is friendship means you got to connect. You, you got to check in with people. John Owen, famous theologian, said this. I wrote this in the back of my Bible a long time ago. I've used it over and over again. Friendship is most maintained and kept up by visits. And these, the more free and less occasioned by urgent business. In other words, how is a friendship maintained? Visits. And the, and the, and the more it's just, hey, I, I'm just here to see you. Instead of, hey, by the way, my car is broken down. Okay? You know, I mean, the more it's just, hey, I'm just checking in. You know, now, even when you need something, at least it's a, it's a check-in. It's still good. But even better is just, no, man, I just dropped by just to check. How are you doing? How can I pray for you? That's how friendship is maintained. Productive, fruitful friendship starts here. Knowing how people are. Asking, texting, calling, dropping by. It is the primary, the first action of spiritual friendship. And hopefully, that will lead into practical ministry that actually helps your friends okay so i'm not saying we stop there you know it's like how are you well i'm about to divorce my spouse well great it's great to check in with you talk to you later you know i mean it's not just like that's the end like we just check oh oh, you're doing really bad huh you're about to to apostize the faith well that's too bad you know uh it's it's not just checking in it is checking in with a view to How can I, and this would be the third point, spiritual friendships aim at strengthening one another spiritually. So look look at this guy, Epaphras, all right? So he's mentioned a bunch in Colossians. And uh, look look at his goal here. So verse 12, uh, Paul is, is talking about him. He says, Epaphras, who's one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you. He says, hi. He's with, he's with Paul. And he says, you know, Epaphras says, hi. And then Paul says, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. We're going to talk about that in a second. That, here's what Epaphras wants, that you may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. 
So what, what's, what's Epaphras' friendship goal? Well, he, he wants them to, two things here, stand mature in the Lord and be fully assured of the will of God. All right, let's talk about those things just briefly. So standing mature in the Lord, man, here, here's a great way to think about maturity. It is knowing and obeying the Bible. It is believing and living out the scriptures. That, that's what maturity is. The, the more you, you take in the word of God and live it out, the more you are growing up. Okay, when you don't do that, then you've got digestion problems. Okay, so First Corinthians chapter three, Paul says this a bunch. He says, uh, "But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. And even now, you're not ready, for you're still of the flesh. There's jealousy, there's strife, there's sin. In other words, you're not obeying the word of God. Now, why, why does Paul always use this milk and meat illustration? Because if you have a little baby and the little baby's drinking milk." and it drinks milk for seven years, and it's still a tiny baby, you have a problem, right? What should be happening is the milk should be going in and building muscle and building brain cells and building bone growth, and the baby should be growing, and pretty soon the baby's like, I'd really like a fruit snack. I'd really like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I'd really like a piece of steak. I'd like some chicken. I'd like some chicken nuggets. I'd like some french fries. And they, they begin to grow and expand, and the, the, the milk did its work. But whenever you're just taking in the Bible, but there's no obedience, there's no changed life, you, you got spiritual reflux, you take it in and you regurgitate it, it never does anything, it never changes your life, then there's a problem. In Hebrews chapter 5, Paul uses the same analogy, he says about this, we have much to say, it's hard to explain since you become dull of hearing, uh, this is Hebrews 5.11, um, verse 12 now, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled by the word of righteousness. He is, since he is a child, but solid food is for the mature, for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Paul says you guys ought to be sharing truth with others. You ought to be teaching others. You ought to have trained your life by the word of God, so that you've got skill to kind of know what's good and evil, how, what choices you ought to make, and you ought to be sharing truth with others. But you're not. You're still on milk. You haven't matured. So Epaphras, his goal is the maturity of his friends. That's what he's aiming at. They'd be fully assured in the will of God. What's the will of God? Well, everything that we just read in Colossians, all right? So just go back through, pick any spot there. Uh, Colossians 3.13, bear with one another. If one has a complaint against another, forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, you also must forgive. That's the will of God for you. Um, verse 5, chapter 3, put, a, put to death what's earthly in you, sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desire. That's the will of God for you, right? All this is the will of God. His, his desire is that they would grow in the will of God. Now, how do you help your friends grow in Jesus? How do you help them mature? How do you help them follow God's will? How do you help them obey? Well, let's look at that. Quickly, verse 12, you pray for him, okay? Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you. This is, this is fantastic. Always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. He prays for him. Judge your friendship um, meter, okay? Here's your friendship meter. Do you care about anybody else enough to struggle for them in prayer? Do you agonize for anybody? Do you give you know what struggle with it for them in prayer means? It means you give effort. It means you strain. You, you know what struggle means, right? So that means it's hard. 
do you pray to the point that it's it's hard? It's, you're working for somebody else's soul, for them to obey and follow and grow up in Jesus. Do you, do you struggle? This guy did. Paul saw it. And he, he saw him. He saw how much he loved his friends. Second of all, encourage their hearts. Um, verse um, 8, I've sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. The word encourage means uh, to come alongside. It, it's a great word. Um, uh, I, I know a lot of our students would much rather go rafting uh, than they would go on a backpacking trip. And so we try to mix in the rafting on the Journey Quest deal. But Pastor Andrew and I are agreed in this. We, we are agreed in that there are things that happen on a backpacking trip, spiritual lessons that don't happen on a rafting trip. Okay, And one of those things that happens on a backpacking trip is you got people that are suffering. They are struggling. They do not want to go anymore. Okay? And you know what has to happen? They have to be encouraged. And you know what that looks like? Literally. I mean, it it is the perfect picture of biblical encouragement. It literally looks like somebody else coming alongside of them. You can't do this from a quarter mile up front on the trail, okay? You don't yell back and say, get going! That doesn't help them, okay? It doesn't help them. You know what? You've actually got to come beside them. And then maybe you take some load off. Maybe you take a little bit out of their pack. Maybe you, maybe you offer some words of encouragement. Maybe you distract them. Maybe you sing a song. Maybe, I don't know. You, you, you do something to help them along the way. I've told you the story before, um, but it, it's, the, it's thus far in my life, maybe the greatest experience, practical experience of encouragement I've ever, I've ever had. Um, we were riding a 100-mile race in the mountains of New Mexico uh, on our bicycles, and we came around about mile 90, and Bobcat Pass was was what you had to climb before you came into Red River. And man, I'm just I'm done. Like I was done 20 miles ago. You know, I'm I'm past done. I'm overdone. And uh, and Doc Kennan, Kennan Kirkendall comes up beside me on his bike. He could have just shot ahead and 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 finished, but he comes up beside me and he puts his hand on my back and he pedals while he's like you know, giving giving me a little bit enough pressure. And just him being there, you know, was enough to like keep me pedaling. And, you know, he, he said, talked about scripture. He quoted scripture. We talked a little bit. We got, we got up over the past. It's the greatest picture of encouragement because it literally was. He rode up alongside me. That's what the biblical word encouragement means to come alongside. Okay, that, that's what Tychicus was doing for his friends. It's interesting. It says he, he's going to encourage you by, by telling you everything that's happening with us. You know what's really encouraging is to hear testimonies of how your friends are staying faithful in difficult circumstances. That, that's an encouragement in Christ. That's one of the ways that we encourage. Is doing just what Tychicus does. I think that's why Paul wanted him to know. Man, Paul's in prison. And so when, when Tychicus goes back and says, guys, you got to hear, you know, they're like, oh, Paul's in prison. He's probably falling apart. He's probably quitting the faith. No, you know, Tychicus is like, man, he's got a vibrant ministry. You know, he's writing letters to all the churches. You know, he's, he's got people coming in and out that he's sharing Christ with. He shared Christ with the whole Praetorian Guard. What does that do to your faith? Encourages me, doesn't it? Keep going. What does it do when you hear about our friends in, in India, you know, that are suffering for the gospel, that are in jail for 60 days and come out and they're looking to plant another church? What does that do? It gives me a little encouragement, doesn't it? 
This is at the heart of our small group ministry, by the way. Romans chapter 1, verse 11 and 12. It says, For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. This is our theme passage for our small groups. That is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Quickly, because we're out of time. Um, comfort them. Verse 11 talks about how Paul is comforted by their presence with him, by their conversation, their help, their practically meeting their needs. Challenge your friends. There's a time for challenge. I love verse 17. I say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you've received from the Lord. I wish I knew the backstory on this guy. Like, was he starting to quit? You know? Because why would Paul point him out and say, hey, tell this guy, fulfill your ministry. It's interesting because Paul uses the same language in Romans 15 about his own ministry. He said, man, I'm, I'm fulfill, I'm, my, my eager desire is to fulfill the ministry that Christ has given me. I'm, I'm going all the way to Spain. Okay, now he tells this guy, tell this guy, fulfill your ministry. Final thing, how do you do this? Verse 13, for I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in the Man, you, you got to work hard. Listen, I think the reason some folks don't excel at friendship is just because it is hard work. And there's no way around that. Uh, I've had people tell me that. It's just hard, Pastor. It's just hard to connect. We're busy. It's hard to check in with people. It's hard to maintain those friendships. It is. You're not getting any argument from me. In fact, I would probably say to do it right, it is harder than you even think it is. But here's the thing I would say. I think it has a return like nothing else in your life will have a return. I think whatever you're giving yourself to that you can't give time to spiritual friendship, I think you're getting a small return. I think you're getting cheated. I think you'll be sorry someday. Finally, be ready to deal wisely with disappointing friends. Okay? Uh, man, I wish we had more time to look at this, but we're, we're out of time. So let me just spin through this as quickly as possible. So look, look at 10. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. Now you guys remember who Mark is, right? In, in Acts 13, he goes on the very first mission trip with Paul and Barnabas. But they don't get very far. They get to a couple different islands and kind of a couple different countries. And Mark bails out. We don't know what happened, but in Acts 13 it just says, Here, Mark left him. And we know it wasn't a good leaving because in Acts chapter 15, after they go all the way through the first trip and they come back around, they give a report to the church and then they're like, all right, we're going to go back and revisit all the churches. Barnabas is like, great, hey, Mark wants to go again. And Paul's like, no, Mark's not going again. So we, we know it wasn't a, like a good leaving. It, it, was, it was a Mark bailed out. So, somehow Mark didn't finish. Mark quit. They needed him and he... He just wasn't there for him. Mark was a disappointment. And, and would you just accept this today? Would you just be ready for your friends to disappoint you? I can't tell you how many people that I talk to, and they will tell me, I'm out on friendship, I'm out on small, because so-and-so disappointed me. And here's what I would say. You should expect that. And honestly, have you not been a disappointment? Man, if you line up all the people I've disappointed, it's a long line. We're sinners. We're broke. Sometimes people fall into sin. Sometimes they're weak. Sometimes they bail out when you really need them. Sometimes they go through a season when they're depressed 
or you really need help, you really need encouragement, they're not there, they're preoccupied, they're not where they ought to be. That is just a reality. But you know the cool thing? At the end of his life, when Paul's in prison, who is with him? Mark. Isn't that great? (laughs) Mark's there. Paul wasn't the kind of guy where he's just done with you. I mean, Mark really let him down. But Mark was restored. Mark got back on track. Mark was discipled by Peter for a while. We read that in 1 Peter. And now, Mark's one of Paul's favorite guys. In 2 Timothy 4, he's like, find Mark and bring him because that dude is a useful guy. Yeah, he wrote one of the Gospels. That ought to be pretty useful, huh? I mean, don't give up on people. They will disappoint you. And, and honestly, other folks, other folks will, will not come back. One of the haunting names in this passage occurs in, uh, where's it at? 14. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you. Okay, that's a great guy. He wrote the Gospel of Luke. And then he says, as does Demas. You know what's interesting? It, when you look through here, Demas is the only guy in this long list that Paul does not describe in some affirming way. Now, I don't know if that's just coincidence or if Paul saw something coming. Because in 2 Timothy 4.9, here's what he says. Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. That's, this is the last book that Paul ever wrote, was 2 Timothy. And the last word we get on Demas is that in love with this present world, he's bailed on us. That's kind of a bummer to end on, isn't it? But I guess here's what I would say. That's not a reason not to pursue spiritual friendships. And maybe the other angle we ought to go with that is don't be a Demas. Be a guy that hangs in there for the long haul. Folks, Christ-centered relationships are they're the, they're the bedrock of our discipleship ministry. Um, however you're tooled, Pastor Daniel and I were talking today, there's a lot of different personalities. Some people are outgoing and loud and greet everybody. How you doing? You know, other people are quiet and reserved. But, you, you know, as we got to talking and as we got to thinking about people in this church, that's, that's not even an indicator of good friendship skills. As we started thinking about some of the people who, who are really great at loving people, they weren't the loud, friendly, shake-your-hand guys. They were the behind-the-scenes. So I, I don't think you can pin this on personality. I, 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 think, I think spiritual friendship comes from these commitments to think of people in in the way that they are in Christ to be a relentless connector caring about people's lives checking in sharing your life having an aim to be a blessing to them and then being willing to weather through some disappointments with people and let's be that let's be that church Father, I ask you to help us with this. Lord, God, I pray that you would just stir up within us a great desire to be good at spiritual friendship, to be people who check in, people who care, people who love relentlessly, people who seek the the spiritual gain of, of those that we call friends. Father, help us to be people who are forgiving, who who restore relationships even after there's been disappointment. God, help us to 
Help us to love well. And God, do great things through these friendships. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name.